And I'm like, okay, all these people who were told that's not ranching or farming, and these are people a little bit farther in their journey than I am, they they were able to serve others with that in a time of need. And that's what it's all about, is serving others. Hey guys, I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas and enjoyed their holiday. I know that I did, and Josiah got to stay a little longer than we expected, so it's been a super great week. Some updates for you. Next week, we'll start new episodes again, and I've got some really amazing guests that I've already interviewed that just been kind of sitting on the interviews waiting to release them, but wanted to wait until after the holidays. So this week's episode is another re-release, as I mentioned last week, chatting with Logan, host of the Ranching Burnett podcast and the mastermind behind hashtag Get America Ranching Again. This is, to date, one of my favorite conversations I've gotten to have on The Ranch Collective. Logan was one of the first people I reached out to, and she was ready to be interviewed, to answer questions, and to just help in any way that she could. She was a joy to speak with and also listen to and learn from. So Logan walked me through her journey as a horse trainer in Nevada, meeting her husband, their journey together as first-generation ranchers in Josiah's home state of Montana, and we got to bond over knowing lots of the same horse people our passion about showing up for your community, and the joy of service. The fire is real in this episode because Logan is going to take over the world one kind word at a time. Hope you guys enjoy. So I am Logan Robinson. I'm an aspiring first-generation rancher. And my husband and I, we live in the beautiful state of Montana. So we're on the western side of the state in a small little ranching town about an hour outside of Helena. And we just enjoyed out here. It was a beautiful journey getting to this piece of property um, in my story, which we'll get to talk about a little bit more. But as far as my business goes, I'm the creator and host of the Ranching Brunette podcast. So that's where I encourage folks to get America Ranching again, which is my whole mission behind my podcast, which started out as just a way for me to share my journey of becoming a first generation rancher of someone with no agriculture background. And it's really grown and blossomed into this movement for folks in all areas of ag. I mean, not just farming and ranching, but it's been really neat to have a lot of guests and a lot of supporters and listeners sharing their stories on how they got into ag, whether they're first generation or they're fifth generation. And it's just really been incredible to watch this community develop. And it's grown into something that's far more than I ever expected when I hit record for the first time on my first solo episode. Uh, So I'm now well into season two, and it's just been a fantastic small business that's growing with each and every month while I'm also growing my first generation ranch of producing grass finished beef. Oh my gosh. I got goosebumps listening to you talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, You know, what's super. Okay. So I was really excited when I very first like came across you on social media because Josiah, my fiance, his whole family on both sides are all from Montana, like going back three Uh or four or five generations. And a lot of them still live in Helena. So I was like, really, really excited. I was like, oh, Oh, it was meant to be. (laughs) Oh, that's so fun. Montana is beautiful. And the Helena area is gorgeous. And that's where we first landed in Montana. And it's just a wonderful area to be. It is when um, we first got together, Josiah was in the process of moving back to Great Falls. So he lived there for the first like six or seven months of our relationship. So I spent a bit of time there and it's just, I loved it so much. Yeah. It's fantastic. Winters are a little brutal, but it's definitely worth it because the rest of the year is just gorgeous and it's just God's country out here. It's just beautiful. True. It really is. Um, Can you tell me about, you mentioned that you had like not a whole lot of ag background. Can you tell me about your life prior to getting into ranching? Absolutely. So I was that horse crazy kid. I just came out completely obsessed with horses. And none of my family was in agriculture. We were all very much uh, lived the country lifestyle. You could probably call us a bunch of rednecks if you wanted to. We have always driven trucks and lived in the country and had various like farm animals as pets. But I really came out just obsessed with horses. And so my parents, they were very supportive in my horse crazy dreams. And I grew up just learning everything I could about horses and ended up competing in everything from bail racing to breed shows to dressage and cowboy challenges and horses have very much been my whole world so that's kind of like my big background and foundation and what actually was my career before getting into ranching is I was a horse trainer and I became a horse trainer very young I was homeschooled had the opportunity to graduate high school at 16 years old and I started my own business at 14 
and I know that sounds ridiculous as a horse trainer to be so young and start a business uh, at that point, but I had overcome a lot of my own challenges that I later looked at as obstacles uh, of fear, fear of horses, fear of losing control, fear of getting bucked off and worked my way through that quite a bit. And one of my episodes, I go in depth on, it's called how to get over it. And so I talk about my journey of overcoming this fear to become a better horsewoman. And that ultimately led me into becoming a horse trainer. And so I had this experience to be able to help others who were also experiencing that same debilitating fear. And because I had been there and been through it and ultimately overcame it, I knew I could serve others who had that same drive to overcome it too. So I started out coaching, believe it or not, women that were in their 40s and 50s. I'm 15, 16 years old at the time. And here are women that have always been horse crazy and maybe couldn't have horses as a kid or they're, you know, living out their childhood dreams now that financially they could afford to do it later in life. And that was my customer base for the most part. I also trained a lot of kids. A lot of young girls came in and young boys as well for lessons and uh, just really had a fantastic time helping people overcome that fear and becoming just feeling empowered with themselves and having that connection with such a big, powerful animal. And then that kind of led into working with horses and most horses just have a people problem. So in helping <laughs> the people overcome their that. issues okay. and not taking out on the horse, ultimately, you know, the horses ended up improving as well. And so then that just led on into starting Colts. And then I grew up in Nevada in Oklahoma, but my time in Nevada, a lot of people. Oh, where did you? What's that? Where were you at in Nevada? Sorry. Oh, that's fine. I was in Minden, Nevada. So just outside of Carson City in the Carson I, Valley. I grew up in Quincy, California. Oh, funny. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I'm very familiar with Quincy. I've been there quite a bit, yeah. and that's not too far away from where I was. How no, funny. No, it's like two or three hours. Yeah. Close. Yep. And there was a great, what is that um, <laughs> rodeo college there? It's uh, Feather River. Feather River. Yep. I almost went there. Um, we bought horse. That's where we got our horses from when I was a kid. We bought um, some cow horses from them. Oh, wonderful. That's a fantastic facility and college there. And yeah, a lot of good rodeos are in Quincy, too, that I've been to. Yes. I I. I loved growing up there. It was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's beautiful. So you're probably familiar with a lot of people who would adopt a BLM Mustang, you know, 125 bucks, adopt the Mustang. They got a horse and it's fresh off the range. So I had a lot of clients do that. that. They're like, oh, you know, people who had no business probably doing that, but they saw a horse for 125 bucks and would get themselves in a pinch. And then I would come in and that was a big part of my business too. So my original career was still in the Western industry, but as a horse trainer and worked my way through that it was just a fantastic career. I mean, I just worked with so many amazing people and incredible horses and really enjoyed that chapter of my life. And sadly, it did come to an end with a really bad, horrific wreck where I was told I would never be riding again. So I closed my business up and kind of act two. And that's where I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for my ranching dreams. Why not? And it's just kind of transpired from there. Yeah. So you met your now husband while you were in recovery from that, right? Yeah. So we were, he was in the Marine Corps and uh, Bridgeport Marine Corps Base uh, Mountain Warfare Training Center was not too far from my training facility that I was leasing. So we met through family friends. They were boarding their horses at my facility and uh, we were friends for a few years before we started dating. And so we didn't start dating until I was in my recovery and we're like, okay, we're just going to start our life together. And at that same time, I was going through all the physical therapy and chiropractic and doctor's appointments of, you know, what surgery are we going to do or not do? And um, it was just a beautiful next chapter of my life because there was a lot of, I mean, when you lose your career, there's a lot of depression with that and a lot of unknowns. And my, I was hell bent on getting back to training. I'm like, I'm going to get better and I'm going to get back to coaching and training. And that's really where I thought my journey was going to lead me. And my husband was so supportive. So we were living in Washington for a little bit. When he got out of the Marine Corps, we moved to Washington. And naturally, I started giving riding lessons again and worked some day jobs. And then we're like, you know what, let's move to Montana. Neither one of us had ever been to Montana. We're like, we're going to move to Montana. (laughs) So my husband's like, I'm going to see if there's an opening with my company in Montana. So my husband put in for a transfer and no joke, this was such a God thing. 
45 days later, they had us transferred to Helena, Montana, and we closed on our first home that same day when we moved to Montana. And so that was, a uh, let's see, that was October 18th. And I believe that was 2012, 2013, 2013 that we moved to Montana. So it was just such a God thing. And that's kind of um, how, where my, actually my ranching story starts coming in, but I had overcome a lot of those injuries and I was back to riding my personal horses and doing pretty good. And I had successfully avoided some surgery and I was like, okay, I'm going to get back into training. And I tell you what, Harley, I tried so many times to start my training business and get back in. And it's really funny because I talk about this in my episode on my journey. It's like, you know, when God closes a door, he's going to keep that door closed until you figure out (laughs) what the next door is he's open for you. And I am so tenacious and stubborn. I just kept knocking on the same damn door and I wasn't getting it. (laughs) So I had to just let go of that chapter. And that was a big part of growth for me and and just uh, figuring out what my next step is going to be in my journey. And really what my purpose was that God had laid out for me. Yeah. So you talk um, quite a bit on your podcast about your relationship with God. Have you always had one? Is that something you kind of came into? So I've always, I I was raised in a Christian household, um, you know, just very much so youth groups going to church. And my parents made sure to really have a faith-based foundation for us that we call it. So Um, I've always been very aware of God and faith and what he can do in people's lives. Um, But as far as my relationship with him, that did not come until later in life, um, actually through my wreck. And that's really where I grew closer to God. And instead of being angry and falling away from him and asking why over and over again, and you know, you can hear that in a lot of people's stories, but they end up falling away through trials and you know, different traumas and stuff, I press closer and I'm like, I want an answer. So this is where I just came in and was really just having conversations. I don't so much call it prayer. I would just be, I'd be talking to him while I'm driving and God, show me the way I'm willing. Show me how did, why did you put me on this earth? If it's not for this reason and helping people and serving people in the equine industry, what is it? And I would just keep asking and telling them I'm, I'm here. I'm willing. I'm open. I'm ready. Show me how you designed me, what did you design me for? And that's really where my relationship with Christ really strengthened was through, I had a lot of trials in life and that's just kind of one example. Um, But through all these different trials in my life, that's where it really strengthened. And I'm really thankful for that. And I don't go to church a whole lot anymore um, just because we live kind of out in the boonies and my relationship with Christ strengthened when I stepped away from the church. I know that's a really unpopular thing to say, But when I stepped away from the social aspect of church groups and when I was younger, youth groups and stuff, and really focused on the word and my relationship with Christ, that's when it strengthened and it's stronger than ever and is a huge part of my daily practices each day. You know, that's exactly what my um, father-in-law, Josiah's dad said, Um, him, they became, he and Josiah's mom became Christian Uh, shortly before they had their kids Uh and he said he went to a couple of churches and um he was like all these people that are here are just like there's a lot of them that aren't real they're faking faking it and so he has went gone on his own spiritual journey and he they don't go to church a lot either but he's very like feels very very close to god like very close to god and he reads his bible daily and talks to God daily and it's he said that that's when his relationship is strongest is when he sets aside time himself that's like specific for worship I love that because you know it's you don't hear a lot of that like I get a lot from other Christians or even other religions are like well you have to go to church like fellowship's a big part of it I'm like I understand that but you can have fellowship in so many other areas so I love hearing that for Josiah's story too, because you don't get to hear that a whole lot. And a lot of people I think are really taken aback when I say that I don't go to church regularly, but I am a very strong, I would still call myself a Christian very much so. And that's very much my foundation, but yeah, my faith is so much stronger now than it ever was. I was like, I um, had some friends in high school who 
were Christian and they spent just like their time there. they would spend their entire like Sunday outdoors, like out in the forest. And they're like, that's, that's where they were like, God's called me to be here and to worship him here in this beautiful thing that he made rather than in a building that was built by man. And they're like, that might be controversial, but that's just how like I feel about it. And so I'm like, I actually really love that. I can really relate to that because I'm a big believer that God put us on this earth with all the tools we could ever need to not only survive, but also thrive. Right. And so, you know, there's so many things and a big part of that is agriculture, you know, growing our own food and animal products and um, holistic medicine, plant medicine, those kind of things that are all naturally on this earth. And I don't think that's by mistake. I think that's a part of his grand divine plan. Um, so I very much agree with that too. It's just being out in nature or with animals or um, in an agriculture field, you know, that's where you, you just can really feel that presence and that connection. I always feel like I'm personally the most connected with God when I spend time like with, like with animals, like yeah. with my dogs, with my ducks, when I'm just with them. Cause I'm like, they're just so like, you can see the goodness in yes. in them a lot. They're not as complicated as people. Yeah, the innocence and the purity. I love the purity that's in animals, you know, because animals can't lie. They they don't right. lie to you. And it's just, it's so refreshing. And it's just, yeah, I love your perspective on that. I absolutely agree with that. Tell me about Get America Ranching again. Yeah. So- I, I'm, I love it so much. <laughs> so this is a big part of... Um, my journey too. And it's kind of funny because I've talked about this on my podcast as well. And it's very much a a faith-based thing as well. I mean, I'm very unapologetically open about my faith, even on my podcast and in my journey, because it's such a big part of it. There's no denying it. So um, Get America Ranching Again and the Ranching Burnett podcast really kind of came simultaneously. So what first came was the podcast. And I still work a day job. I commute over an hour um, one way to my day job. Absolutely love it. Work with great people. And it's a long drive. I've got, you know, 55 miles into town and I spend a lot of that um, in conversation with God. So I'm now on this beautiful property. My husband, I just purchased it and uh, getting fencing put in, getting the cows moved over. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to make this work and document document my journey? And I was really struggling with uh, people being open to a first generation rancher, especially where we live. It's ranching country. It's the heart of ranching country. It's, I mean, there's so much ranching legacy here. And I'm, I'm kind of a joke, like the first generation coming in, who does she think she is? No background, you know, starting with four cows. And so I was just praying about this and in conversation, like, God, how can I build a community? Like, how can I help others who want to do this and inspire them and encourage them? And I'm no stranger to being made fun of. I mean, starting a business at you know, 14 going on 15 as a professional horse trainer and having a successful career as a young person and overcoming all of that. I had no problem uh, essentially going and being that voice um, and stepping forward and be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it and I'm learning each part of the way. And in my podcast, you hear me say, you, you can either, you know, laugh at me or learn with me, but either way, I hope it's going to be entertaining. And so this all kind of came in a conversation and a podcast, just the word podcast popped into mind. I'm like, Oh no, I am not starting a podcast. Like I do not like the sound <laughs> of my voice. No way. You know, I'm an introvert at heart. <laughs> and so I'm like, that's a very outgoing extroverted type thing. I don't think so. Yeah. And that it was so clear. It wasn't like a fleeting thought. It was so clear, just like a ton of bricks podcast. I'm like, all right. And I have no experience with podcasting, not super tech savvy, none of that. And I was listening to the Gold Digger podcast, Jenna Kutcher, a lot just for a very business minded, love entrepreneurship. And so actually that that same week, she had an episode come on about or I, either I discovered it or it came out um, about how to start a podcast. So I followed to a T the stuff she laid out there and started my podcast. I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to go for it. Nobody's going to listen to it. What's the harm? <laughs> no big deal, right? I just can put it out there and, yep, I'll have fulfilled this little answered prayer that's come to me. So the podcast gets going. I start getting some guests and I'm now driving along and I'm like, okay, I'm like just talking with God again on the same spot of the same drive where I always turn off the radio, turn off the podcast and just focus in and pray. 
And so then I'm like, I need, I need like a mission. I need a tagline, something that's powerful that really wraps around what I'm wanting to do of helping aspiring first generation ranchers like myself. And clear as day, it came, get America ranching again. And I'm like, oh, that is too simple. No way. Somebody has to have that already. You know, it's really close to make America great again. And then, you know, Adrienne Brannon, she's one of my favorite Western artists. She has make America cowboy again. And I'm like, somebody's got to have get America ranching again. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I get really excited about this. So I pull over and I Google it and I'm like, is this taken? <laughs> like I'm at the top of this mountain pass where I actually do get cell service and at the you top of Mac- right there. <laughs> yeah. at the top of McDonald pass on your way into Helena. And I'm Googling this and I'm like, nobody has this. Are you kidding me? So I'm like, okay, now what do I need to do? And I'm like, I got to trademark this. I'd never done a trademark before. So I get to work and start doing all my stuff to do the trademark application. I'm like, okay, get America ranching again. And it, again, it was just clear as day, like an answered prayer. Same with the podcast, get America ranching again. I'm like, got it. T-shirts, put it out there, tagline for my podcast. And that really sums up everything I'm wanting to do because in, you know, our generation, we're like the most removed from agriculture and we're totally submersed in consumerism and instant gratification. And, you know, a lot of people have no idea where their food comes from. A lot of people have no idea how to drive a manual pickup truck, you know, that are around our age. And that's really discouraging to me. And actually it's just really shocking how much common sense is missing um, from today's generation and just in today's world in general. So that was a big part of my mission is just to help people who either want to get back into agriculture if, you know, they had generations before and maybe they lost the family farm or ranch and they want to bring back that legacy or people like me who have no ag background, but are just madly in love with the beef industry and raising cattle and want to make a go at it. But, you know, how do you do that? So that's kind of the long tangled mix of the Ranching Brunette podcast and Get America Ranching again, but it's very much uh, my mission is to help those in ag. And what's really cool about the community that's come from Ranching Brunette podcast is it's not just first generation ranchers. There's so many second, third, fourth, and fifth generation ranchers that have come on and are just pouring into everyone in ag with each interview on each episode. And it's just really fantastic how much it's encouraged so many people, not only in ranching, but also farming too. And I just, I'm blown away at where, what it's grown into and where God's taken this. Yeah. So we talked a little bit earlier about how specifically our generation in the creative industries, photography, graphic design, a lot of art based stuff, jewelry making, there's been like a big shift as like our generation comes of age and gets older and starts being some of the primary people in those industries, there's been a shift towards like collaborating and sharing and networking and being like more collective. And I have, I've seen that in other industries too. And I think that that's probably also true in the agriculture industry is people who are our age with the increased ability to communicate and share online, just being able to share information is just so much easier. And I think people are a lot more willing to do it as well. Absolutely. And that's like the beauty of technology in this day and age, you know, with every blessing, there's a curse. Um, but the blessing side of technology is that just being able to be connected and share those stories. And like you said, not only in just agricultural industry, but so many other industries. And what a beautiful day and age to be alive where we have access to so much knowledge and education through these social media platforms, such as, you know, YouTube, you can YouTube anything, following the right yeah. accounts in your industry, whatever that is in access to mentors is so much easier now than it was 10 years ago even yeah Josiah we um he manages the cattle ranch that we live on so he's managing 150 head of cattle plus babies plus bulls and it's and we're on 1500 acres it's a big property but he's when it comes to fixing stuff stuff falls apart at the most inconvenient times (laughs) as I'm sure you know (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's inevitably the day before it's gonna rain and you need stuff done (laughs) 
he's been able he'll just look it up on youtube like how to fix x what does this error code mean we don't have to drive the 30 minutes into town to get a code reading at you know AutoZone. right we can google what it is that's fantastic what state are you guys in we're in texas Texas. we're about an hour north of dallas on the oklahoma border oh beautiful i love that area absolutely love that area yeah it it is beautiful beautiful out here we love it here and i'd never been to texas prior to us moving he used to live here and his parents actually also live on the ranch as well they him and his dad manage the ranch together oh that's fantastic it's been good so you talk a lot about starting small and growing strong okay so i love that you talk about that because i feel like it's agriculture and re- like the ranching industry's worst kept secret because you bust your ass to break even yeah but like nobody talks about it outside of like hush conversations and I like that you are talking about I love this part of my journey like you said so many people don't talk about this and I this is my favorite part to be honest is starting small and I talk a lot about cash flowing and growing at the speed of cash which we all know is like tortoise slow I mean it's yeah, you can't just start off where you want to be. I mean, you could, you could get everything financed that you wanted to and look really good, you know, right up front, but you're going to be struggling on the back end and your chance of failure is much higher. So I love talking yeah. about starting small because, you know, my niche community is people that, you know, just everyday people like myself, you know, working a day job and having a dream of wanting to pursue ranching. So I'm very open about starting out with my four cows and wow. then starting out on you know, three acres is where I started with our first property we bought in Helena, Montana. We were on three acres and I wanted a bottle calf. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to buy a bottle calf. I'm going to raise it up, <laughs> put it in my freezer. And there we go. Nobody thought I'd be able to do that, by the way. They thought I'd get too attached and it'd be a pet. Oh no. Okay. So that is, <laughs> that was going to be my question is like, I know, and I'm not like someone who gets super attached to stuff yeah except for pets it's like only pets just i made some jokes the other day about because i have baby ducks that i'm raising i bought them from tractor supply we've got two and he was like oh well if they don't want it being females we can just kill them and eat them and i was like we're gonna do what now (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness yeah i thought i didn't think i would really have a problem with that but everybody was like you're not gonna be able to eat this thing you're gonna bottle feed it and then eat it yeah right I was hell-bent hardly on doing this. And so (laughs) my introduction to cattle ranching and the beef industry was through a lot of my horse training clients who had operations already going. And I would start colts for them or, um, you know, a lot of the ranch wives wanted to have lessons and, you know, brush up their skills, especially if they married into it. So that got to be my introduction. So I was very aware of the ins and outs of the process, you know, breeding, calving season, raise them, process them or sell them depending on the market and uh, or depending on their operation and what place in the market they had. So when I got this cow, it was, this is really another God thing where I went out to get the cow. I actually had met this ranching couple. They were ranch managers at one of my day jobs. I had, they were customers there and loved having conversations with them. And I told them, Hey, if you ever have a bottle calf, give me a call. And they're like, are you sure? That's a lot of work. I'm like, it's fine. I've got horses. I'm not afraid of work. You know, what's a cow? So she called yeah. me up just a couple weeks later and was like, hey, I got one for you. So I drove out to this ranch. And no joke, Carly, this ranch is just, it's right off the same highway that we live on now, just about eight miles down the road from our place. And did I, I know that. that at the time? Oh, no, I did not. But I was like, gosh, I'm driving out there to pick up this bottle calf, who I did name. I named him Norman. <laughs> Stop it. We had, oh my gosh, we had a bottle cap this year that we named Norman. Oh, funny. <laughs> Part of my he, childhood, I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma. And so I'm like, okay. I'm going to name him Norman after that. I love that. <laughs> that is too funny. What a coincidence. <laughs> so I'm driving out to go pick up this bottle cap. I'm like, this is beautiful out here. I would love to live out here someday. Pick up the calf. Don't think anything else of it. Drive home and go through the process. And I'm raising them up. Grass finished. And no joke, he comes up. He's about 22 months old when I decided to process him, took him to the butcher and processed him. And that was my start, start to finish. And I'm like, okay, that was fantastic. Now, how can I build on this? How can I improve on it? And it's just grown from there. And just in starting small, I talk a lot about this on my podcast. And I talk about being intentional. That is my favorite. Intention is my favorite word. So I talk a lot about intention boards, which is very much like a vision board. So I put up on my vision board, my next steps, what I wanted to do. And that's been a very powerful thing in starting small because I have the goal there and my next step. 
and I'm all about breaking it out into manageable steps. And for me, and this is very unpopular, it's all about journey. And that's where all of the learning is. That's where all the joy is. That's where all the pride is, is in the journey. It's not the finish line. So I talk a lot about that in just being intentional and aspiring, right? We're not, I'm not there yet, but I'm constantly driving and I'm very intent towards becoming an actual first generation rancher. And I don't know when I would consider myself that I've made it. I don't even know if I'll consider myself that when I have that couple hundred head of cows aspiring and is just striving for it. So I was going to ask you about that is when you thought you were no longer firing when you thought you'd made it because in my industry, particularly it, and it might, it, I think it might be an industry thing because a lot of the times like creative businesses aren't that va- like aren't really valued because what we do a lot of it is cr- like is creative or it's not something tangible that people can touch. So if you say like, Oh, yeah. I'm an aspiring model. No one will take you seriously. Or if you say I'm an aspiring yeah. photographer, people will write you off. As like not being serious about it. And I was curious if it's the same in agriculture. I think so. And that's why a big part of why I use that word is because I have been mocked ruthlessly, even putting the podcast out. I have been mocked. I've heard of people even um, in surrounding areas um, catch wind that I'm doing this podcast. And I get this all the time. You're not a rancher. You can't do that. You're right. I'm not a rancher. I'm an aspiring rancher, which I talk very openly about. And I'm on the journey of becoming a rancher. And I wasn't blessed to be born into a multi-generation facility or operation. But I'm going to set that up for my future generations if they want it. And so it's something that was kind of like my, um, if you will, like a witty comeback of, okay, yeah, nice try. You're you're picking on me. And I, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm here. Bring it. Bring it. I know what that, what I'm setting out to do is, um, you know, setting myself up for mockery in the industry. And uh, I'm so thankful of bringing people onto the podcast because most people said they have not had this experience. Whereas my perception was that anybody trying to break into the ag industry was experiencing this. So it was awesome bringing guests on where they are saying that they were welcome with open arms. And that's been more of the norm that I've heard from people I've talked to, which I love. I'm so thankful to hear that. But that very much has not been my experience. And so it's really funny when people go, well, why do you live out there, you know, in the middle of nowhere? And I'll tell them why. And they're like, that's not ranching. I'm like, well, what is ranching? What defines ranching? Is it the number of cows you have, the number of acres you have, the number of generations? And I hate placing numbers on things because it's like, at what number have you made it? At what part of, you know, kind of that thing, when do you drop the aspiring And so for me, I really don't have an answer to that yet because I'm still very small. You know, I'm just under 100 acres. And in the grand scheme of things, they're right. That's not ranching traditionally. But I think what's really neat, especially what we saw lately with this, you know, coronavirus thing that came, the weakness in our food system, you know, the the food chain of it being delivered and how a lot of people went to ranchers who sell and farmers who sell direct to consumer that can ship directly to them and still fulfill that need. Sure, you know, it is more expensive than buying at the grocery store, but I I loved seeing that as awful as the coronavirus was overall for so many things. I knew there was going to be some positivity in there um, because I always find the positivity in everything. And one thing I saw was in agriculture, the small guys won. You know, they really won through that because they were able to provide their product to people when our big food chain had a break in the system. And it was really cool to see that. And I know a lot of people probably won't agree with that, but it was neat to sit back and watch that. And I'm like, okay, all these people who were told that's not ranching or farming, and these are people a little bit farther in their journey than I am, they they were able to serve others with that in a time of need. And that's what it's all about is serving others, no matter what scale you're doing it on, whether it's me with, you know, a couple steers a year that I'm feeding to my community, my family and friends, or a huge commercial operation where you are providing wonderful beef for the grocery stores. It's all about serving others and there's a place for everybody. And that's another one of my things where I come back. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter how you're serving others. As long as you're showing up and serving them, you're on the right path. We're going to come back to service, but I have a question. So you talked about having a hard time, like breaking into the ranching um, Mm -hmm. industry. And there's definitely people out there who believe that you can't as a newbie. So you don't think that's true, but it's not easy as someone who doesn't have Um, like generations of ranching background can you share some of like the harder stuff you've been through and like how you worked through it and stayed positive absolutely so a lot of the hard part is it almost comes 
always comes down to financing and finding land uh, when you're starting out. And those have been the really hard parts for me is like I talked about my intention board briefly and I put a picture up there of 80 acres that I wanted to be able to purchase. And there was nothing on it. It was like, I could run so many head of cattle and get started there. And then, you know, God had other plans and he blessed my husband and I with this beautiful piece of property that yeah, it needed fencing and everything, but it was a little bit more than what we were expecting. Um, Had a house, had a shop on it. And then, you know, just under a hundred acres instead of 80. And that was a total blessing for that to come about. We, we financed this through our day jobs. My husband and I both still work a day job which I think is really important, okay. cash flowing, um, everything. And I'll keep my day job until I no longer need to have that supplemental you know, income until my first generation operation is self-sufficient and then some with the other stuff I have going on in my business. And I think that's another a big part of that too. That's hard to keep a full-time day job while building your business, while taking care of livestock. And then where we live is you know, an hour from town. It's an hour from our jobs. Yeah, so one of the hard things is... And I think a lot of people, they quit their day jobs too soon, um, which, you know, it's like, okay, money or time. That's the constant battle, no matter what you do, right? We need more money and then we need more time. And if you need more money, a lot of times it's in a day job, which you're sacrificing and vice versa, right? So that's one of the hard things is keeping that day job until you can be self-sufficient enough off your business and then some to where you could step away from that and have more time. So that's really hard, especially when you get in that transition where you're close, you're like, you, you could really almost do away with the day job and go full time into this, but it's still a little risky. And that's where you feel that pinch. And that's really hard to balance that. So again, coming down to financing in time, especially getting starting out, you know, starting out, you can finance your way with loans and credit cards and all kinds of stuff. And like most people before I knew any better, I did just that and had to really work my way out. And I talk a lot about that in my podcast too, of cash flowing. And that for me has been the hardest part. And then, you know, you get onto about a hundred acre piece and it's amazing how fast you can outgrow that and where you have to start looking at lease options. And so that's where you've got to be showing up and serving others. And I talk a lot about this too, is, you know, for lease opportunities, how can you serve a landowner, you know, not only with just your lease payment every month, but also how can you improve their piece of property? Real estate is an investment. How can you improve on their piece of property? So it's a benefit, not only financially, but also in how we're caretaking of their land. And that's a big struggle is finding land, especially when so many land developers are coming through and buying up ranch land or farmland and developing on them at a rate that's way faster than anybody could cash flow. So those have been the harder parts. And so I'm trying to find ways to be able to utilize my 100 acres the best I can with rotational grazing and whatnot, um, but also looking for those opportunities when I need to grow and expand and being able to either purchase another parcel or be able to lease bigger parcels. And I realize not a lot of people talk about that. A lot of people say, just do it, you know, get into it. It'll all work out. But then you get to that point. It's like, okay, you're waiting for it to work out. What do you do in the meantime? Right. And how do you kind of bust through those obstacles? So those have been really the hard parts. It's, it's a slow, slow journey. And I talk so much about that Uh, you know, especially like we talked about day and age of instant gratification. And I want to kind of go back in time. And as far as that mindset goes, and slow and steady wins the race, you know, let's look at how people did things in the 40s and 50s before credit cards were a thing before things were before you could finance every single little thing down to a barbecue grill, you know, those people cash flowed their way through. And it took a long time, a lot of years. And I'm okay with that. So one of the very first things that I noticed while looking at your social media and listening to episodes of your podcast was that you genuinely enjoy serving you even have an episode called service is joy yeah so that episode I love that episode I was surprised it ended up being one of my most popular ones and I'm very thankful to my parents for this because our we were a homeschool family and um, my parents were really good about teaching us life skills and common sense it wasn't so much just curriculums and my parents were really good about instilling work ethic and what that meant in the workplace and just setting us up for success and one of the quotes they shared with us is this service is joy quote. And I can never remember the author's name of this quote or even how to pronounce it. But it goes, um, while I slept, I dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and found that life was service. I acted and behold, service is joy. And so my parents would have us break that down and what that meant step by step. And it's something that is so ingrained in who I am. And no matter what industry you're in, no matter 
what part of your life, you look at any area of your life, how you show up and serve others from your day job to your family, to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, how we show up and serve them is everything. And it applies to every area of our life. So when I talk about this quite a bit, um, there's so much, it's so significant. There's, it's so profound how everything just boils down to that. And one thing, when I, when I put that episode out last year was a particularly hard year. I was gung ho. We had just moved to this property in January of last year and we're getting the fencing done. And my husband and I, we're just, we're busting it out making it happen so we can grow. I mean, I had my four cows and we're ready to get more. And then I had a health issue come up and I had no idea. And it ended up being, it's a neurological thing. Um, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember hitting this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I have this podcast talking about becoming a first generation rancher and I can't even pound in my T-post anymore. You know, after we had pounded in hundreds of them and then all of a sudden I start having these issues and I'm like, how am I going to be able to serve my industry if I physically can't even take care of my cows right now, and my husband, bless his heart, he stepped in and he did all the hard work while we were trying to figure out what was going on. And so it was a lot of testing and stuff last year. And I remember just having this moment, I'm like, and this is where I really pressed my faith. I'm like, God, please don't take this away from me too. Like I had my horse training career and here I am. I'm so passionate. I'm so on fire. I love talking about this. I love serving this industry in this little way I am. Please don't let my body fail me here like it did when I was a horse trainer. It was very emotional time. And so that episode came out. And that was when I realized that no matter what, even if I can't physically be doing my ranch work right now, while I'm letting my body heal, and we figure out what's going on. I'm still showing up and serving my industry and serving others who, you know, they're counting on me to be bringing this information in this community to them, because it's inspiring them on their journey. And I'm still serving others, even if I'm not able to get to my 15 cows I wanted to this year, even if I'm not able to finish fencing the rest of our property, I'm still serving others. And I had to really look at that in a different way, in a different perspective. And that really got me through that quote. I remember pressing back into that and then my relationship with Christ and putting out that episode was a really profound moment. No matter what, how we serve others says everything about us. If you've got a terrible attitude and you are terrible at your job, you know, that says a lot on your character and who you are at your core. But if you show up and serve others and you find joy in that, that's where a lot of our true happiness comes from. Things cannot bring you happiness. Other people cannot make you happy. But how you show up in your day-to-day life in every area and how you're paying it forward and serving others, it is amazing how much joy and fulfillment that'll bring you on your journey. That's actually, um, I saw, so on my other podcast, we talk a lot about being of service to the uh, to your clients. Um, yeah. I shoot a lot of weddings, so that service is, that is yeah. valued by the people who I'm serving. After listening to that, because there was like a couple of days where I like binged like 10 or 15 episodes of your podcast because I was like, like <laughs> super, super excited. And I, was doing, and I was doing research and stuff because I wanted to not sound like an idiot while I was talking to you. And I listened to that one and as soon as I finished it, I sent it to like three or four of my friends. I'm like, you guys, you have to listen to this specific episode. Like listen to the others. This one is so important where you just talk about how important it is to be excited about serving others and like how you yeah. the the way you go about it is like everything. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That, that is by far my favorite episode I put out. And, oh, that just it, made me giggle. Thank you so much. I, <laughs> I love that episode. I like was driving to a photo shoot while I was listening to it. And I had like, goosebumps and like I was getting all yeah I was getting all emotional about it it was kind of funny but um (laughs) fantastic (laughs) um (laughs) but so like you said showing up in your industry is really important in in all industries and yeah uh, in my experience not enough people show up in the ag or ag adjacent industries or not enough people in those industries share their love and joy of ranching they just only kind of like show up in their own agriculture ag adjacent spaces but they don't share that outside like they don't share their love of it outside of like that circle and I 100% agree with you on that uh yeah it's something that I've noticed too it's like okay we're great about talking within our industry and even when I was in the equine industry we're great about talking inside our industry there but why aren't we talking about um you know why aren't we encouraging parents who have no experience with horses to get their kids involved with horses because of 
the work ethic and the confidence that it'll instill in their child that they'll carry on through life, you know, by caring for these beautiful animals and learning how to respect them. And that was something I remember reflecting on when I was a horse trainer and I would actually go to high schools and bring my horses and set up a round pen and even um, elementary schools and doing just like little clinics, mock clinics, and just talking about some of these things and trying to encourage other folks to be able to see inside the industry. And so that was back when I was a horse trainer. And then now in the ranching industry, this is something that I really want to show up in in the future. And again, doing the same thing is like, for me, especially since I focus a lot on getting people into ranching or getting America ranching again, you know, first generation ranchers, I really want to show up for our youth. And a big way that I see that is through our school systems, or even uh, in our communities with either homeschool groups or church youth groups or those kind of things and talking about it to people who may not have been introduced to it because, you know, if, until you're introduced about it, how do you know about it? And in this day and age, you know, this stuff is not being taught in schools anymore. You know, there's yeah. no ag classes. Again, people have no idea where our food is coming from. They just think they go to the grocery store and it's just there and it's going to be never ending supply. That's terrifying. It's funny that you mentioned that because I, so I grew up in Quincy, which is, you know, lots of horse stuff, lots of cow stuff, lots of like related industries, forestry, very Western industry. And then I moved to Reno, Nevada for college and it's not there. There's a little bit of it and particularly on like the, they're very, very close, like Carson, Minden, Fernley, Fallon, those areas. Yeah. Um, But Reno itself isn't. So I had a lot of friends who grew up there that had no idea, not a clue. And so I was fortunate that I was able to take them home and like introduce them to some of that stuff. And they really got to like learn about the love horse people have for their industry. And they got to learn and enjoy that. But that's only because they met me because they knew me and I wanted to share that with them. It wasn't because they found out. It's just like not enough people who were in those industries are like outwardly showing up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's incredible, especially when you get to like being that person that gets to introduce somebody to something and you see that connection and the light in their eyes. Like the best way, you know, of course, is like with calves. Everyone loves baby cows and they get to touch them or feel a cow lick them for the first time. You know, those (laughs) rough tongues and just it's so neat because you can almost see like the inner child coming out and then just them connecting back to, you know, our ancestral roots, generational roots, you know, at some point, almost everybody was tied to ag in one way or another, far back on their family tree. And it's so neat to be that person just to introduce them to that. And I totally agree with you. I think it's important that we show up outside of our industry, because we can talk in our industry all day long, no matter which one it is, but that's like preaching to the choir, right? Yeah. And I think it's hard too, for a lot of people, especially with agriculture, we've been under hot fire for a little while with all the environmentalists and animal Mm -hmm. rights activists. And I think a lot of people are just protective and, you know, a little fearful stepping out, but you know, if we're not willing to do the scary things and the fearful things, how are we going to be able to continue strengthening in our, our industry? And yes, everybody who eats supports industry or and supports agriculture whether they realize it or not. But the problem is most people don't realize it. Even if you're a vegan, you are supporting agriculture because who is growing your produce, you know, those fruits and vegetables. And it's amazing that, you know, it's like, um, what do they say? Don't bite the hand that feeds you. And that's what so many people are doing with agriculture because they don't know any different. And there's that huge disconnect. So I love that how you pose that question because that you're so right. And that's something that I really want to do. And um, going forward is just getting out and talking with others more about it. Yeah, I've like been since we moved here, and even like kind of growing up where I grew up, I've been thinking about, okay, how can I get people who love their industry and like want to talk about their industry and in particular agriculture adjacent industries like and people who work with trade how can I get them to share with other people who may not necessarily be explicitly interested like I don't think everyone who listens to this podcast is going to be like yes ranching right but I think that everyone who listens is going to be like oh I can understand your relationship with God or I can understand not wanting to go into massive amounts of debt for your the lifestyle that you want yeah. Uh, I and I wish that like other people were just as willing to like show up and share it with people that are not in their industry. Absolutely. And that's something that I've mentioned um in my podcast as well is I encourage people to step outside of our industry to learn. So uh, like the Gold Digger podcast, in no way is that tied to ranching or agriculture, but I've learned so much from that podcast and the guests that she brings on are from so many different industries. And it's amazing what you can pull from different industries to help you 
in your own industry, but also to help you on your own growth, you know, your personal growth and opening your mind and stepping outside of the box in a different way of thinking. And you never know how that's going to impact somebody. So I, I totally agree with you on that. I love that. So another thing that I've noticed is that you're super positive and you're pretty open about it, that like, that's a conscious, like decision that you make and that it's a lot of work. Will you talk a little bit about like how you get your mind into that space and like how it, how it affects your work and your working relationships? Absolutely. So mindset is, is a big thing for me and, you know, like overcoming procrastination and fear, which was fear was a big part of my journey early on. And I was very negative of what if this happens? What if that happens? And that's something I've talked a lot on my journey. And that was something that took quite a bit for me to overcome that. And I think, you know, no one is born with like this amazing outlook and positive mindset on life. And there's just, you know, there's a lot of human nature to overcome through adolescence and puberty and into adulthood. And it's life experiences that shape you, right? And you'll either have a negative outlook on life or a positive outlook on life. And there's some people who are more neutral and something for me that really helped me. Cause I mean, I just was not always super positive, but I had heard something that was really profound and it was years and years ago. And that was the only thing you can control in life is yourself, which ultimately is your attitude, your outlook, your actions, and your response, as well as your impact on others. So it all comes down to how you're reacting to things how you're choosing to look at things. And it's one of my personal mantras. And I remember that, um, especially when I was losing my horse training career, I was in a really negative space and was trying to overcome that and battling that because I thought for sure I'd be doing that the rest of my life. And so this book I discovered called The Secret, and um, I talk a lot about that too. And it's kind of woo-woo, hippie-ish type thing for a lot of people that are like, they'll pick up this book and start reading. They're like, is she kidding right now? But (laughs) it's one that I read at least once a year, um, sometimes twice a year. And that book, I I know it sounds so cliche to say this, but totally changed my perspective on how I viewed life. And it's all about, you know, your thoughts become things or your thoughts become your reality. And it was all about mindset. And so that's something that I worked really hard on overcoming. And it took a lot of work. I mean, just, I was like, I got to this point where I questioned everything. I'm like, okay, I'm going to question all my beliefs, all of my thought, my outlook on everything. And then I'm going to let go of what no longer serves me. Because if it's not serving me, then I can't show up and serve others in a better place. And that's something that is not easy. A lot of people look at positive people and like, they must have had a super easy life. How can someone go through life and be this positive and sincere and genuine about it? And I get asked that a lot. And it's like, no, I've had a really rough life just like anybody else. You know, I don't think anybody escapes life without some traumas or, you know, bumps and bruises or total derailments. It's all about our outlook and our perspective on it and how we choose to portray that and how we choose to show up with our attitude and how we present ourselves. And that's something just that one quote in that book really changed it all for me. And I'm really thankful that I discovered those two things because it is so much harder to be negative and miserable all the time. And don't get me wrong, I still have, you know, my bad days too. I'm human just like anybody else, but I can pull myself out of that so much quicker. And I just try and see the light in everything, no matter what it is. Even like last year going through those health issues and knowing that, okay, that's going to be part of my journey going forward. And I can choose to let this totally derail me and wallow in this, or I can have it as another thing that something else that was going against me, but no matter what, I'm going to keep pushing through and I'm going to hopefully be able to use this to help encourage somebody else who may be going through something similar. What advice would you start of the ranching or agriculture industry? So this, I love these kind of questions and I'm one who asks uh, a very similar question too, because I love hearing people's answers to this and each one is a little bit different. Even if it's initially the same, everyone's perspective on it is so different. So for mine, my best piece of advice would be that procrastination kills more goals and dreams than failure ever will. And I love to talk on overcoming procrastination. Um, In my episode, I talk about how to get out of your own damn way. I go deep into this as well as paralysis by over analysis. So over analyzing will not get you (laughs) anywhere. It's like procrastination, right? They're like twin sisters. So procrastination and paralysis by over analysis If you can find a way to get over those, it'll get you so much farther, so much faster. So my best piece of advice is to overcome these two momentum killers and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And 
as someone who has worked in like many areas of the Western industry, I have seen and heard of some of the greatest ideas or concepts from folks who hid their fear of failure behind these two success killers. And it's so devastating to me when I talk to somebody about what their dreams are, what they do if they could do anything. And they say, well, I don't have the time or, you know, someday, right? It's all procrastination. And that just, it breaks my heart. So another part of my piece of advice here would be to each day invest at least 15 minutes into your goals. Everyone has 15 minutes. And I talk on this a lot too, but that can add up to over 90 hours a year. That's pretty significant. So we all have 15 minutes. So don't hide behind that one either. And that would be, if I had to sum it up into something real quick, that would be it. That would be my best piece of advice because that's something that I've struggled with before too. And I've had to overcome and I wish I could take that away from for everybody. So they didn't have to worry about that. I agree with that. And that's been something that I've like struggled to overcome. And I finally just started being like, okay, when I'm setting up my plan for the week or plan for tomorrow in my planner set aside about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it happens to be that I have that day, I set it aside and I write exactly what I'm going to accomplish in that amount of time. And then yeah, ready or not, there it is. (laughs) And then I can't, it was something about like having it written down and like having it there means, okay, now I have to do it. Like in my brain, that's what that means. And so like, even if I'm not 100% ready, too bad, it's there. I should have prepared better beforehand. Absolutely. Like I love checklists. I have the weekly goal worksheet that created for folks who listen into the podcast and it has action steps. I'm big on action steps. Like you're talking about and writing it down and then turning off the distractions, put a time on your phone if you have to, and then put the phone away because I think it's so easy to get distracted with other things. And then our productivity really goes down. So yeah, I'm somebody who struggled with that too. And it's easy to do. It's really easy. And if you just kind of face it and realize it's a problem and find a way to tackle it and get over that obstacle, you'll get so much farther, so much faster. My personal productivity with everything that wasn't like website based and client communication based with like my photography business was I was at my most productive in the like four months we <laughs> didn't have funny? internet at our house. How <laughs> yeah. I love not having phone service. Like it, the second I leave the house, yeah. my internet drops and I have barely enough service to send a text message. And I'm like, wow, this is really, yes, truly fantastic. <laughs> That's how it is out here too. We both live in the boonies. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It's really hard when you're trying to record like an Insta story (laughs) to share with people, you know, what you're doing on your operation or sharing a cool little trick or something for ranching. And you have to wait to get back to the house to load it. And then if it doesn't load properly, you got to start all over. And that that part's irritating, but it is nice to be able to step out and then know that you're pretty much off grid when it comes to cellular technology when you step away from your house. Yeah. And my day job has also been really fantastic about realizing that like, okay, she probably doesn't even have the service to get a text message. She'll get back to me when she can. So they're really good about not asking me to like come in on a shift. That's nice. (laughs) Yeah. So what are you? So this one um, is probably gonna come off a little cliche, but I really thought I love this question. I had to think really long and hard on this one. So what I'm most proud of is I would say who I am today. It's, it has taken a long time and a lot of damn work and discomfort as well as growth growth pains to become the person I am today. And I say this because I think a lot of people struggle with this. And I truly enjoy spending time with myself. There was a time that I did not enjoy who I was and didn't want to do self-reflection to, you know, do the work and grow into my higher self and who I wanted to be and who I envisioned myself being five or 10 years from now. So I I just I have I have grace with myself now that I did not have before. And I respect and truly love myself. And that sounds so weird to say out loud, right? Because everyone's like self love, love yourself, you know, all this woo woo stuff. But it's like, if you can't love yourself and have grace with yourself and serve yourself by taking care of yourself, you cannot show up and do that for other people, whether it's your family, your career, or your passions and dreams and goals. You really have to do that work. And I think a lot of people avoid that. And I think in order to be successful and to really encourage others on their journey, you've got to do that work yourself. So that's something that, I mean, it was a long, hard road to get down. And for anyone else that's on this road, the best takeaway I have from my journey is to, this can sound so funny to say this, but to treat and talk to yourself like a loving, wise grandmother. Picture that quintessential grandma that has all this wisdom and love for you and wants the best for you. And you talk to yourself in that same way. 
you spend the most time with yourself by yourself than anyone else will spend with you. And if you are talking negatively to yourself or bashing yourself or, you know, saying, gosh, why can't you do this better? Why can't you just lose 10 more pounds? Why can't you step it up here? You're not going to get anywhere. So if you picture yourself, you know, talking to yourself from that place, or if you really want to go deep on this and woo woo stuff from your higher self who you are you know who you want to be when you're 70 and teaching you know the next generations coming through talk to yourself from that place of your higher self and that's something that I'm most proud of it took a long time to get here and I'm closing in on 30 and I know I have so much more life ahead like I'm still so much a baby compared to you know 56 year olds who may be listening to this are like oh my gosh she's just a baby but it's been a lot of trials and life lessons in this almost 30 years already and that has been the thing I'm most proud of because when I fully embraced that and did that work and that self-reflection and questioned everything and then let go of what didn't serve me and kept what did and then built other things to support and serve myself so I could then go forward into this world and serve others that was that was very profound for me. That's something I'm truly proud of. I mean, that's kind of weird to say out loud, but it took a lot to kind of reflect on that. It's like, how could I, how could I word this? But for anybody else that's on that same journey, I would say, just talk to yourself in a positive light, a loving way, a forgiving way, but also with guidance and structure like that, that loving grandma, that wise older woman. So my favorite take on that is actually something I heard from a podcast that I listened to called My Favorite Murder. And they talk about talking to yourself the way you would talk to you if you were five. So like, does five-year-old Harley deserve to be told that she shouldn't eat today because she ate too much yesterday? No, you would never, a normal person would never say that to a five-year-old, right? So why are you saying that to yourself? Or like talk to yourself the way you would talk to your dog. Like, would you ever, ever tell your dog that they can't eat today because they ate yesterday? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's another great perspective on that. And so treat, like treat yourself that way because you deserve to talk to yourself in that loving, kind way. Oh, I love that. And then, oh. What would you be doing if you <laughs> This were was a good question because I feel like, you know, I've gone through so many different things that I've done in my life through different day jobs and um, my horse career and all that. And ranching's always been something I've always wanted to do and strive for. So my first reaction was, well, I'm already doing, you know, what I always want to do. And then I really thought about it. I'm like, okay, let's come up with something fun. Like if I could just do anything and I wasn't ranching anymore, this yeah. is going to sound really funny, but I would be a diesel mechanic. <laughs> I would love that. And yeah, I okay. I, know, I, I love that. learning of the yeah. mechanics of different things and turning wrench. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, it's not my husband's favorite thing to do. And I always love to be there when he's working on stuff. It's like, hey, show me how to do this. Well, what does this do? And I think it annoys the hell out of him, to be honest. But <laughs> he's so patient because he'll show me these things. That's but so I mean, I would want to work on farm equi- equipment or, you know, diesel trucks. Like, um, still, it would still be an ag, but. I don't know why I am fascinated with diesel engines. Um, we have, we love our Dodge Ram trucks. We have all the gens, generations of Dodges and we just love them. So yeah, that, that would be my thing. I think I would go to school to be a diesel mechanic. And I know that sounds so weird to say, but it's something that I'm really intrigued by. That's super, super interesting. Josiah, he does not love it yeah. if the equipment breaks down, but he likes to work on stuff. He loves to take stuff apart and fix it yeah. and put it back together. And I have no mind for that at all. Like tech related stuff, usually I can troubleshoot and I can fix physical stuff being put together. I'm like, how do you even know how that was? And he goes, well, it looks like that's what it looks like it goes. So where would it, how would it go anywhere else? I'm like, and I don't see it. I'm like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> I'm right there with Josiah. I was like, I, I do not like it when my stuff breaks down. But it is fun um, getting to work on things. And we just bought this old case tractor, which is something I talked quite a bit on uh, of just getting to the point of getting this old tractor. And it's yeah. an old diesel tractor. Absolutely love it. It's a 1980 something. And it's so funny because I've been waiting for you know a project on it. And I shouldn't even say this out loud, but knock on wood, this tractor <laughs> is just keeps going and going. I'm like, oh, I'm just, I, I want to restore it and you know paint it back to its original glory and slowly replace and just re- repair things. But it's such a good tractor and I'm like well this thing just keeps going and going okay <laughs> and it, I'm thankful you're like I expect exactly this to be a you know, project. When you buy old what equipment it kind of comes with it and <laughs> man she's just the mighty little beast that could I mean she's a big tractor but it's fantastic and my husband's that. like stop saying that because I do not want to work on another thing and I'm really <laughs> impressed it's probably been the best purchase so far because even our newer trucks you know they needed stuff within we of course bought used but they need stuff within the first month of us buying them. And this tractor, I've had it almost a year and she just keeps going. 
Unre- unrelated. You said your yes. husband also has a yep. day job. He works a day job and I work a day job. What do you guys do? He do. does fire suppression. So I uh, think fire extinguishers, the kitchen hoods at restaurants, and that keeps them really busy. I, I work that. for the state of Montana as my day job and get to do admin work and work with a great group of people there. And it's just a fantastic job. I love yes, that. Do you commute do. all the so way to It's about 110 miles a day okay. round trip that I commute. And then my husband, he kind of is all over the state. You know, he goes to all the different towns in Montana. Yeah, I commute. It's a 70 mile drive, but it takes me about an hour and a half. I commute all the way Whoa. down to Frisco for work every day. So, Whoa, yeah, yeah you I feel, feel that, that way more than me. <laughs> <laughs> we actually in December bought finally I bought a I bought a little Chevy Spark yeah. and it's a cute little mini car and it gets like 35 miles to the gallon and we don't get snow here so I don't have to worry about like four wheel drive or anything my husband made me and I will say flat out made me get a Subaru Outback they are so yes, good but it, so it broke good. my heart because I drive like I said we have our big trucks you know our diesel Dodge Cummins and I yeah. had, that's what I had to drive as my commuter truck my husband's like we're putting so many miles on these trucks and they're so much more expensive He's like, you're getting an Outback. Mm-hmm. It is the highest safety rating. That's your commuter car. And I'm like, say what? Like, I tell you what, Harley, I love that car. It gets great fuel mileage. And it's like a mountain goat because it's all wheel drive. Yes. And you put snow tires on that. And it has been the best car. So I have to take that back. I mean, I, I do like that car. I don't like the way it looks. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Where can we find yeah, you online? So I am on Instagram as the ranching brunette. Uh, I do not do a lot on Facebook. I do have a Facebook page, The Ranch and Burnett there too. Uh, but you'll, you can connect with me on Instagram at The Ranch and Burnett and at Get America Ranching again. And then my website is theranchingbrunette.com. And then you can tune into my podcast by the same name. And we're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find The Ranching Burnett podcast as well. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.